Welcome to the Knicks Wall Podcast, presented by Whistle Sports. I'm your host, Mike Cortez, and joining me today, we got the OG crew. We got Kyle Maggio. Kyle, welcome back. What's going on? I missed the pod. I missed you guys. Missed talking to the people. Uh, glad to be back. Miss you, man. Happy to have you back. And joining me as always, Eli Cohen. Eli, how's it going? I'm feeling good, man. I'm excited to talk some Knicks. I feel like we haven't had a chance to in the last couple of weeks, so it's good to be back. Yeah, a lot's been going on since the last time we all talked. The Knicks are back together again, and the focus has been point guard. Right now, the depth chart is Frank Nilakina starting, Dennis Smith Jr., assumed the backup, and then Alfred Payton, I guess, is just there for trade bait. I really don't know what he's doing, but saw at the practice facility nonetheless, so he's there. There's a lot of talk, guys. Chris Paul. Now Russell Westbrook. Then you still have LaMelo Ball, Kira Lewis, everyone in the draft. First, let me start off with Chris Paul. That's the trade that's going to be the story of the whole offseason. Which which side of the fence are you guys on with that, first off, before we go any further? I mean, I think it, it comes down to the way it always is, is the package that it takes to get him. Like, I'm not someone who I know some people are just against him on principle and I'm not really one of them as much as I, you know, would sometimes fantasize about tanking for Cade in 21. Um, I feel like at a certain point you have to actually just have some good players on the court and that's going to help your team just as much as getting high draft picks. Uh, But, you know, it depends. I think that there are going to be teams. I don't know what teams, but I feel like there might be one or two good teams this year that actually want, Chris Paul to sort of take him over the edge um so if it becomes a bidding war I'm probably out but if it's like you know it's the same thing it's been if it's if you're giving getting rid of like a couple like a low pick and someone that you don't like Julius Randle then sure do it and you know get someone in there who can actually help out the young guys a little bit and teach them how to play but if you're starting to get rid of real assets then all of a sudden I get a little bit more nervous so the, C, the the Chris Paul thing, I, I agree with Eli for the most part. It's going to depend on the package. But I do think, as always, with uh, the, the Knicks trade and free agent discussions, as most of these discussions are held online, uh, there's always this all-or-nothing approach that any any trade resembling the Knicks giving up things of substance is bad for a player with a contract that big. Uh, and we should not do it. We have to avoid it at all, all, all costs. This is classic Knicks, yada, yada, yada. Um, I, I just, I find it a little bit funny this time. Uh, and you guys know I'm a, a noted, long-time career Chris Paul skeptic, I think. Uh, as good as he is, as all-time good as he is as a point guard, I do think, like, you know, there is a bit of over-infatuation with him at times uh, in ways that other guys who haven't succeeded don't ever get. Um, but that said, it's like, even for that amount, and even for, you know, let's say he plays only 55, 60 games, it's like, I don't understand how you could have just watched him this last year and then thought, this is like the same as trying to move like a, like a dead contract. People keep talking about it, like, like the, the Thunder trying to move a dead contract. Like a guy who has zero playing ability, it's just a number, and the Knicks would be doing them a favor to even consider taking that contract. And that's the part that bothers me. This is still a very good player, guys. If you want to acquire a very good player, you still need to give up something. This is not oh, – I've seen stupid comments like, oh, OKC's got to give us a pickback if we want to – this is not how it works. The Knicks are not negotiating from a, play, a position of power here with the Thunder. The Thunder have all the assets and all the time and patience that they could possibly have. The Knicks are not going to do a deal with them that requires OKC giving you Chris Paul and then more things. The Knicks are not deserving of that or in a position to be able to do that. But like Eli said, if it's going to cost like a couple of lesser picks 
And like for me, this is where the divide comes from often. For me, lesser picks includes the Mavs picks. It just does. The Mavs picks lose value every single day Luka Doncic exists moving forward on the Mavericks roster. Every single day. And for that reason alone, since the KP trade, I've maintained this, and I'm not going to change my stance, and you guys can, you can attest to this well. I've been a big proponent of move those picks immediately. Move them yesterday. They've already lost so much value on them. So that's where I'm at. I think if you're going to move, like, why not give up that kind of gimmicky pick where, you know, we're not going to get this magic break with a 6% chance to move up to, to first overall. You know what I mean? Or whatever, you know, BS percentage we're going to have. Like, move the, if, if that's what it takes to get Chris Paul and then suddenly you have an, an all-star, very good player. And, again, I get it about playing the young guys, but we got to also get over this thing that, like, Frank's the PG and he's going to get PG minutes. He's not. He's not, guys. It's been three years. He's not getting PG minutes. It hasn't happened in three years with different coaches. Jeff Hornacek, David Fisdale, Mike Miller. It's not going to happen with Tom Thibodeau. It's just not. Maybe they like him as a wing, a defensive player, but this whole, like, he needs to play PG thing is just a thing that we discuss online at this point. It's not a real thing in reality. So my question is always is, you know, if not, if not him, then who? You know, so Dennis, Dennis Smith, as much as I love him, that's going to be the guy? Like, what are we, what are we doing here? So that, that's why I think, like, the, the, the CP3 thing is, uh, I, I think it's much more reasonable than people make it out to be, to my point. I think even if the Knicks end up giving a Mavs pick or something like that, I think that's fair. I think when you start to lose, lose it as if you're going to actually give up one of the Knicks, like, unprotected, you know, firsts that they own right now. But any of these early second rounders that they have, any of these late firsts from, like, the Mavs or the Clippers, like, these should all be on the table, in my opinion. And not all of them, but, like, you know, mix and match. See what, what works. I, I just think that kind of a deal you can get done. Because the last thing I'm going to say before I pass it back to Mike, Eli, Eli, you brought up, you know, other teams are going to want him. The Lakers have been brought up, for example. They have, you know, room for a third person, a third max contract. So if the Bucks too, be, the Bucks too. So I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say the Knicks need to get involved in a bidding war, but I, I just want Knicks fans to like really, just really open your eyes. And, and again, if if you don't want him because of the contract and nothing's going to change your mind, it, okay, that's fine. I'm not going to be here to sway you. But you guys got to like really. Really just, like, try to use your brains here and understand that he's still a very good player. Very good teams still want him. So if the Knicks also still want him, they will always, in any scenario that ends up with him here, be giving up something. So if they're actually really trying to get him and actually really have a chance to get him, you guys need to prepare yourselves for that. And it's not the end of the world. Only if they give up multiple picks of, of you know, that they own is when I lose my mind. If it's, like... Oh, they they give up one of the Mavs picks and a second round pick and Julius. It's like, who cares? We're still in the green. We still have lots of picks. I'm not going to lose sleep. Look, I'm not going to lose sleep over a trade like that. If we have seven first round picks the next four years, and you take a calculated stab with one of those to get a Chris Paul for two years, like I'm just I'm just not. I, I just don't know how people could be upset about that. And I think well, and here's what. Sorry, like just one other thing, like you brought up the contract, and I think that that's an important part of the discussion because it's a gigantic contract, and I would not at all deny that. It's $41 million for this coming season and $44 million player option Huge. the next season when he's 36. Huge. Huge. But here's the thing. If you say, like this summer, there's maybe two people who the Knicks could consider giving a max contract to, and that's Fred Van Vliet, who – probably it's not worth quite a max contract but i could see them getting like close to that and brandon ingram who's a restricted free agent and it's really unlikely that the pelicans are going to not match a contract for him so two players that could be worth that money both of whom are kind of unlikely to come to the knicks so you're not saving that money for this year and then next year he's an expiring contract yeah he's 36 yeah it's a lot of money but he's a really really good all-time great point guard on an expiring contract, there's going to be a team that will trade him for like some bad contracts and, you know, a pick or something like that. Like that contract as, as an expiring is going to be very movable. And like people act like it's, it's not like Russell Westbrook. It's not like John Wall's contract. This is something that is going to be over soon. So you can and, actually recoup some value on that on the back end. And, and even on the John Wall, whatever, you know, was Russell Westbrook contract uh, points. Everybody always, every single year, and we never learn our lesson, every single year we decide that a contract is untradeable. As soon as it's signed, 
that contract cannot and will not be moved. And then what do we learn every single year? That contract can be moved. Somebody always finds a way to take on the contract that we said could not. Even John Wall, everybody forgets before that injury, the Heat, and the, I forget who else. It was the Heat and I think maybe the Suns. Somebody, somebody almost had him. Like they were hot on that trail to get John Wall. I think the Hornets. The, it, was somebody, it was somebody else, right? But there was yeah. a couple of teams, and I know the Heat for a fact were involved. And it's like, why, I don't know why. We're, we're smart sports fans, a lot of us. And I see people who I respect say things like this, and it's very silly to me. You could always move a contract. There's always a deal that a team can make. There are 30 teams. There are 30 situations. There's always going to be a team willing to take a chance on a guy like that, especially if they were an all-star talent and still are. So that's, that's what gets me. I just think, like, there's got to be a time when we, like, learn to separate the dollar amount a little bit. It's like, yes, it's a lot, but to your point, yeah, unless we cash out on, like, Fred Van Vliet, which, of course, I would prefer that. I've been a big proponent of that. But, you know, it seems like Toronto has been, you know, signs from there say that they're going to match, kind of whatever. Uh, it's going to take a lot to get them. So, yeah, like, who are we going to pay? Who it's also worth pointing I, out that in 2021-2022, Julius Randle is the only money on the books, and he's, like, got, what, like a $4 million partial guarantee. Like, obviously, Barrett and Mitch and, you know, maybe one, one or two of the young guys are still going to be there, but he is the only contract right now that's on the books. Is that like, when you have to start have, thinking about Mitch, though? Is that when his second contract? Yeah, for sure, but even well, with Mitch – even with CP3, you would still have tons of money left over for another right. star if you wanted it. And Mitch is not going to get – I don't know what people think Mitch is going to get here. I don't want to derail too far off of the, the point guard discussion that we're having at the moment, but Mitch is not going to get some $100 million-plus contract. No, like, I'm thinking like, like, what, like 488, will, like 470 maybe. Oh, that, would be, that would be a lot. Like not a lot, optimal you know. for him. Right. I'm just going off of what other bigs have gotten, other defensive bigs who don't really bring a lot to the table offensively besides. Well, and what about these Christian Wood rumors where it's like they're saying maybe around nine million nine, a year? Yeah, he's getting and mid, he's, mid-level. Like, he had an incredible end of his season and can shoot, like has like a modern-day big well, man skill set. Well, then you start getting on, into the agent stuff because yeah, Rich Paul's well, going to get the most. That's as true. It, I'm very in on, on Christian Wood, but also I think there's plenty uh, – I think that's one of your your Twitter darlings that we decided was going to get a big payday and we decided it had arrived. And I think teams need to see a little bit more from him for a little bit longer. Uh, I Just judging by like the rumors that we saw, which had been almost nothing for him. Like yeah. all, all I've seen was, sure. all I've seen was Knicks fans going nuts saying that we need to pay him. We need to, whatever it takes, we got to get him. And then there's been almost nothing linking the two, the two together followed by, he's basically going to be lucky to get like eight to $9 million. So I think people got to like start tempering their expectations a bit too. Like, like you said, he finished the season really nicely. That's great to see. Teams are not fooled by finishing the season nicely. Like that's, that's just what it is. Like you got to have a, a, a mostly strong season beginning to end. Like you don't get paid for like a strong finish. It helps. It helps if you've already had a good season, but it, it's not going to get you, you. You need to have like a, a breakout year to be able to get, whatever it was that people were projecting Christian Wood to get. So I I think, again, temper expectations. It's just I think we've gotten to a point on Nick's discussions online where nobody really knows what to do anymore because this team has been so bad aimlessly for so long with these botched rebuilds and whatnot that, like, we're almost just saying anything now. But I would just – like, really just objectively look at these things. So Yeah, and – by objectively looking, I also want to just come right back to the Chris Paul trade itself. The price isn't that high. Just from what's being reported, I'm seeing Kevin Knox as the centerpiece. And the team right now is reluctant to do that. They want to – they rather – Driving myself. Out, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, I, and honestly, if you're asking me, I was – I was shocked. My jaw dropped. I was like, wait, that's it? I, look, I, I'll get lambasted for this take, but I don't really care at this point either. Let it go. E- e- even if it was Frank and Knox, I'm driving both of them down to oh. OKC myself. Like, oh. like, look, 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 okay, look. I, I just want us to be honest here, okay? I know you guys <laughs> both love Frank. I know I, I, I'm in and out on Frank, okay? And, and the Knox thing, people want After him to be After the picture, I just sent you. Unbelievable. Look, look, I, I think we really just need to, to admit it to ourselves 
as a fan base, not just me screaming it at you guys to believe it. The Knicks took the two worst players that could have taken in back-to-back drafts, and that's why the, that's why the 2017 rebuild, remember? It, it was Fisdale and Perry, and we're committed to the culture, just like they're doing now with Thibodeau and this, this new staff about, oh, you know, this is it this time, you know, the culture. And you see them tweet about it, and it's like, guys, like, I'm not going to get duped for this again, okay? Them talking about it, and then just because they have two young guys on the roster does not mean we need to further commit to them if they're not showing anything consistently. No, I agree I, with you on Knox. I would just like to say that Malik Frank Monk shown- is worse than Frank, but that is my only objection Eli, to this Eli, statement. Eli, Eli, Eli. I know, Mike, that, that was directed right at you. Eli, but come on. My Eli. only objection. <laughs> Eli, Eli. Frank, Yo. Frank has done nothing on the offensive end for three years. For three years, he's been the exact same guy. Spare me. Spare me whatever hey, I small. Agree with you. 20, I small agree with you. 20 and 10 before the pandemic. 20 and 10. That's yeah, all. Yes. I'm just saying they could have had Malik Monk listen, and Kevin Knox, listen. and that would be worse. Every That's season, Frank Milikina has one good game every season that people harken back to. We Rookie season, we go back to that Pacers game that he has. The second Warriors. season, we talk about the Golden State game. Warrior game. The, well, this year, we talk about that game when he was in Utah, and he had like 16 and 10 or, or 16, whatever it was. There's always one good game. People go back into the flashes. And again, I've been saying this for three years, and nobody believes me. It's not Frank Slander. I love that kid. I wish he was a better basketball player. He simply has not been one. And I wish that people would just admit this to themselves. Because there's this, like, mob of Knicks fans that if you think doing anything besides just staying exactly the same with this roster and letting Frank and Kevin Knox play more, like, they, they hate you for it. They think it's an asinine thing. You don't know what you're talking about. It's like, guys, like, I just really – maybe, of course, they're young. Maybe they have a breakout year. Maybe. All right, but here's my Knox thing. Here's my Knox thing. But they suck, and they've only sucked. No, Knox sucks, but they want to keep him for whatever reason. But I will say, let's say the draft comes, you take Isaac Okura or poor Devin Vassell. But by the way, let's just talk about Vassell real quick. Thank you. They do turn into a card. (laughs) He found out the Knicks were interested in him. He started shooting like a Hey Arnold cat. (laughs) What the fuck was that? The ball was like at the back of his neck almost. As as the draft guys on this this pod, as the draft guys on this site – I would like to propose this question to you guys because, and again, and not to belabor the Frank Nielakina stuff, but this is, this is how we get into dangerous situations with <laughs> prospects because all before the draft, all I heard was, you know, he's not really shooting. This is for Frank. You know, he's not really shooting that well, but man, that form is great. You know, that, that's a form that you could bank on. That's going to transfer to the NBA. Like give him a year or two, like da da da. Okay. Rookie year comes, he stinks it up. You know, then, then the off-season videos come and, and, oh, look at the form. The form looks great. You know, he's got his hand here. He's working with this trainer here. Da-da-da. Oh, my God. Like, look at who he's pulling up for his threes. Exact same player. Happened again the third year, too. So, it's like, I don't know what it is with this, like, urge. It, it, it's become, like, the very trendy draft guy thing to, like, we only talk about jump shot forms more than, like, the jumpers going in or not. Like, Devin Vassell is like a is a very good jump shooter, as as we learned from this past you know his, yeah. his season, right? Like a very whatever he was doing, it worked because the ball went in. I don't think we need to always do this thing where it's like, okay, he's going to the NBA. We got to tighten up his form. We got to tighten up his jumper. We got to tweak this. We got to the, these guys learn to shoot. How they learn to shoot? If the ball's going in. Just leave them alone. Leave them alone. We yeah, don't need to talk about it. it. We don't need to pretend that like oh, a form looks good, but the ball isn't going in, so maybe it'll work out. If the ball is going in, that is the point of basketball. If the ball is going in at a 40% clip from downtown, leave that kid alone. Leave him alone. Whoa, I don't even know what I was looking at. It was like a shot put hitch thing from behind his head. It was the ugliest thing I've ever seen. It has nothing – it looked nothing like the film. And you – and Mike, you know this. I'm not a big prospect guy, but before a couple of our draft pots, didn't I – I was like, wow, I'm actually kind of impressed by him. Yes. I like, I like oh, what I saw. Changed it completely. It was like, it was fine. It was perfectly fine. I'm hoping, my hope is, this was Dustin. a 20 second video of him just like fucking around, like, you know, just stretching out and probably just trying a stupid release just to do it because the tweet was deleted 20 to 30 minutes later. But I don't know if it's because he was getting fried so badly. It was because well, he, was... he was getting fried. Yeah, it was because <laughs> he was getting fried. <laughs> these, tra- these trainers love posting those videos. Like, they're, like, they're, they're, oh, everybody, every trainer that posts a video, is totally overhauling. It's always a big makeover for the player. They're going to be a new player when they're done. And it's like, that's what they always expect. Like, here's, here's the player in the gym. This is going to get a thousand retweets because everybody sees him working. And it's like, yeah. well, it kind of backfired this time, huh? Maybe leave his jumper alone. 
I felt this was one of the few times the eye emojis was warranted because I was genuinely like shocked. I was like, what the hell happened to him? But the overarching point was with nah, this is all the way trying to pack to Knox. If let's say they do take Vassell or they take a Kuro, now Knox is gonna compete once again for minutes. So at that point, what are we really holding on to him for? Get him the hell Wait. out of here. Let him go to let him go to OKC. Which it's not really much of an if they take those guys. Like, those are the two guys that they've been hot on from all the rumors. Well, Akuro right? for sure. Akuro is heating uh, up. Uh, because uh, once Akuro? again. No, I'm saying once again, they've been doing their homework on him pretty, like, they're, they're close eye on him. And same with Halliburton. Halliburton's another one that's trending up. So, I feel like those are, like, the top two guys right now. But, obviously, this changes by the day. I was just going to say, you know, one theme with those two guys, uh, regardless of how you feel about their ceilings, uh, is that they have high IQs, I think. Um, yes. Regardless how you feel about Halliburton and how his game might transition to the NBA. I like in Mike, again, I've said this to you privately. I just liked him because of his IQ. And I think at some point when the Knicks are so aimlessly bad, you just need smart players on the court. So I'm not saying that's a reason to draft him, but I'm saying I think that's what the Knicks – maybe are starting to realize if we're reading the tea leaves on these rumors. Those are two guys who are really touted for their awareness and their understanding of like the flow of the game. And I think that that anyway is a theme. I think if anything, that's an encouraging thing to take away. I'm skeptical about a car a little bit, but um, even still, I think that's a, that's a good thing ultimately, but. I've slowly come over to him because like I said, dating back to my, when I was first against it, it was just because of the roster around him. But just given the options, I just watched more tape on him, and it's just he is the highest potential at that slot. I mean, Obi might be there. That might be another person that fits RJ and Mitch and can also be exciting. But I think Okoro gives you the highest chance at a superstar. Eli, what do you – I mean, am I wrong on that? or No, I'm, I'm totally with you. I think if it's like between those three, then I definitely – go Okoro and I just you know say that the fit you know you let that fall as it may and work around it um I I I think that what what Kyle was saying was exactly right that like the fact that they're looking at high IQ people is very encouraging considering that seemed to be literally the last thing on Scott Perry's mind when he was building last year's team which you know I was saying that from from last summer once they started making those signings I was in the Knicks wall slack chat talking about how frustrated I was with the fact that everyone that he was targeting seemed to be sort of like a low field gunner so it's really nice to see that I do think that for Halliburton that would sort of be like putting the archetype above the player because I really just think he would be a bit of a disaster on the Knicks um he's probably like the guy in the top eight to 10 ish that I am the lowest on just in terms of his fit for the Knicks. Um, like I, I tweeted this the other day, but I would pretty easily take OB over Halliburton, even though Halliburton is sort of like exactly what last year I was like looking at and just missing desperately on the roster. And OB seemed much more in keeping with like that Scott Perry mold, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I just have a lot of I, I, I really struggle with Halliburton and I think that like if he goes to the right situation, he could be really good. But I think if he goes like like I think that there's so many arguments for other people like I could see an argument for and this is a little bit of a, a spoiler, but I'm doing an, an article on Malachi Flynn, the San Diego State point guard right now that should be out next week. Nice. I think there's a real argument that Flynn might be a more effective player than Halliburton at the next level. Like, I'm not saying I believe that, but I think that there is an argument there to be made, especially if you're looking at them as point guards. Um, So I have a lot of questions about Halliburton. Um, But at the end of the day, like the Knicks just, uh, it's undeniable. The Knicks need people who see the game well. And that's one of the things they really struggle with right now. Yeah. And I think that's why they're leaning towards someone like a curl. So if you are going to go the wing route, Knox is already going to be fighting upstream for playing minutes again. What's really the like? Why? Why would you be so hood like anchored to him almost? Because they said Kenny Payne was brought in to part help him, but I feel like holding up a trade for Chris Paul for Kevin Knox would be one of those things you look back on. And it's just like, are we fucking kidding me? It's look. It, it's a good. It's a good question because 
there, there's a lot of guys that as much as we like to think every year that we always make the draft out and we always know who's going to be good or bad. Like uh, we don't ever. And normally it's a bunch of surprises and, and, you know, situations that we didn't really anticipate. Um, I don't necessarily disagree about the Halliburton fit thing, but anyway, it is encouraging to see them take or be looking at high IQ guys. I think even CP3, Fred Van Vliet, like in terms of broad team building, I think kind of fit with that same kind of thing. Those are guys that are high IQ, obviously, which is why steering this back to the Russell Westbrook thing, I don't really understand why that came up. As much as you can do a lot of Russ defending, and I would like to also say on this pod that if Russ does end up here by some chance, I would likely do a 180 on him after he's here for quite some time because I will not. we have been – I'm just being honest, okay? Like, I don't think I would like that trade, and I don't think I would like whatever the package look like looks like to get him, you know, but at the same time, I think once he's here and then, you know, we'd obviously by default win slightly more games, you know, whatever that might look like. I think I would eventually just – my fandom would make me come around on it. But I don't – I'm against a trade for that because that's – I think that's a worse contract to take on for a guy that's harder to build around. And, yeah, I, see, I, and, and like, instead of a 180, I think it's going to be a slow 360. I feel like you'd start out not liking it. Then you start loving it because it's Russ. And how can you not love seeing Russ in the garden lighting the, the crowd up? And then eventually you just start to hate it again. I feel like that's – It would be D-Rose. It would literally be D-Rose 2.0. And I'm just not – like I, lo- I like D-Rose and I still do. I hate him as a Nick. And Russell Westbrook just can't shoot anymore. And – that's just the facts of the matter, and his contract's gross. And with him, who are you really adding to him? The only scenario in which I would get him, which this is never going to happen, another star player, free agent, let's say Anthony Davis, which isn't happening, so I could use it. If Anthony Davis called up and said, I'll come, but I'm, I need you guys to trade for Russ. Once Anthony Davis signs, then I would make that trade. That's the only scenario I would ever do that. Well, the yeah, thing that confuses me about that trade deal is that, like, unlike – Chris Paul, Russ probably would like his, I don't know. It's tough. Cause he did have a really great season. Like, especially that second half of his season, he was absolutely on fire and you know, yep. you can't take away from that. Yeah. But playing with but, Harden. It, well, 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 hold on. Uh, there was a stretch, I think starting back from December. It wasn't, I don't Harden I, was out. I don't want to make this sound like it was only the tail end of this or like only later in the season. Like, it was pretty much after a really horrific no- November, like a really horrific start to the season. Mm-hmm. The entire rest of the season, he was, like, lights out. Like, he was really good. They were rolling. All the way through March, they were rolling. And he looked really, like, fantastic. Because they were playing a, a weird style of ball, which we didn't even really see in the playoffs or the bubble for the most part, where it was almost like they were taking turns, but it was calculated. Like, they knew how to, like, feed off of each other to give, you know, the defense different looks. And – so that's kind of why they were, you know, making it happen. But it was most of that season. So to your point, like, I don't know why people are making the seem like he's totally over the hill. I disagree with you that it's a, the Rose thing. Rose at that point was 18 and five, 18 and five, absolutely no defense. And, and, you know, that was it. Like, really, like, that was like the ceiling for him at that point. Russ is going to still get bananas numbers wherever he ends up or whether it's in Houston. The, the fact is, how are you going to build the team around Russ at that point? But That's I don't think, it, I, I don't think it's like the Derrick Rose thing is my point. Derrick Rose, like we already knew what like maximum production was going to be like for him. Russ is going to still win you games just off of his talent, but it's about like, okay, well, if you put him with RJ and both those guys don't shoot, well, that's clunky. You know, right. and Mitch. that's, that's yeah. where the Rose thing I meant to say, there's like, it doesn't just doesn't fit with, Actually, Rose actually had better pieces because at least he had Melo and KP. He just – it just didn't work. With Russ, I'm just like, you came from a Rockets team that was perfectly built for a slasher. It's just perfectly built. There's shooters all over the place. New York, who's he kicking it out to? So I think it would just be a lot. He'd get his 25 points, but it's going to be an ugly 25. And then who's the second-leading scorer on that team? RJ? I don't, I don't see it. I don't know. Well – I'm going to stop here because, uh, as I always point out, our Zoom calls like to cut us off, and we are too cheap and will never, ever upgrade to the total premium plan. So we're going to stop here for a brief ad. We're going to pick it right back up, and we're going to finish this uh, lovely point guard and everything else state of the next debate right afterwards. So we'll come right back to you guys.
and we're back. So yeah, so just wrapping up, Russ. It's it's another large contract that would have to be considered, but an easier trade the team could make, and one that's been brought up in rumors. Nothing in stone yet, but Victor Oladipo, the Pacers and him have kind of fallen out. They owe they have to pay Turner Sabonis. I believe Oladipo is set to be a free agent after next season. So the danger with him is you're kind of getting him for a rental. How do you guys feel about that? Because I feel like the assets needed to execute that trade would be significantly less than even a Chris Paul deal. Yeah, he's, he's a really interesting one. Cause I mean, he's, he's the youngest. I feel like he's the one who has the most likelihood to deliver like longer term value for the Knicks in a trade. If you can get him for like next year, help, let him just sort of work his way back, get all the rust off. Cause I mean, you know, he is coming off of a, some pretty rough injuries. And this last year when he came back, he really just didn't look like himself. And the thing with Oladipo sort of, sort of in that rust way is that when he doesn't have his athleticism, things get really difficult for him. He's still a good defender. He's still an okay shooter, but like a lot is based on his athleticism. So like, so you're giving up assets to trade for him to then give him a major contract that will be paying him up until he's probably like 33 ish. Um, But again, he, he can actually be a part of their future. Like he, he is a very good player and he's still relatively young. Um, but I am scared. I'm scared of how he looked when he came back. And maybe it was just, you know, he has to work his way back the same way Gordon Hayward did, the same way Paul George did. And I'm all, I'm also like a little – do we know what's gone down in Indiana? Because, like, it seems like they did just about everything right in terms of building a team that complimented uh, him. Well, they, like, they signed a, a backcourt mate who's a perfect compliment to him. They landed, like, a stud scorer for nothing in TJ Warren. They got, like, their – two borderline all-star big men. It seems like like for a small market team, they've done just about everything they could to build around this star. And so I don't really understand why he's so pissed off. Do we, do we know like what has gone down there? We don't know what has gone down. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know. I think they, they've, done a, they, they've done a good job. They've done a good job, but I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say they were building around him with Sabonis. They, they got Sabonis back in that same trade with people. They were both, you know, question marks waiting to see what they were going to be in that West in that PG return. I'm sorry. But uh, aside from that, like, yeah, like TJ Warren get, you know, getting, uh, you know, Brogdon in, like they've done good things these last couple of years for sure. For sure. And they've overshot the, they've overshot expectations even without him, which like seems like that's a good team. The whispers that I heard about the indie stuff, just from indie people that I follow and things like that is more, Again, nothing concrete. It's not actual facts here because we'll find out if he gets moved, when he gets moved. Uh, and it inevitably seems like this all might be for move because it seems like the smoke is really for him going to Miami. I'd like to just get that out of this pod. That's kind of been evident. It's been the worst kept secret in the NBA for months now, it feels like. But um, the Depot thing seems more like they were kind of forcing him back. Maybe when he wasn't right is my understanding of it. Uh, sort of this refusal to want to pay him while also wanting him to come back quickly and sort of being like, oh, no, he's okay. Because they, they would say things sometimes before, like, Depot's camp or Depot seemed – like, nobody had heard from Depot or seen him. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you know, he's, he's kind of ready to go whenever. And it was like, I wonder if that played any part in it. If his camp was like, well, here we are trying to work on a long-term deal, you know, to keep him in Indy, and you're just trying to rush him back when he's maybe not right yet, you know, just – to try to win whatever you can now. And it's like, if there is credence to that, if that is the issue, then I can understand why Depot, who is still trying to work back and isn't feeling 100%, isn't feeling great, uh, might not be feeling it anymore. That's the only thing that I actually saw, though. Like, that's the only, like, uh, hypothetical I think we could attribute to this. Because other than that, like, I can't imagine that after the PG thing, that they wouldn't want to pay if he was again assuming full health and he looked like himself, you know, coming into next year. Let's say they hold on to him. I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't want to pay somebody. Like no, nobody signs with the Pacers. You know what I mean? Like that's a hard place as many small market teams struggle with to get 
big time free agents to come in for long-term deals. So I would imagine that they'd want to keep him if he looks somewhat good, but um, I think this is one of your little organizational back and forth that you're going to find out about later on. But I, I just think it's got to be something like that to really get him riled up and, uh, and really want to be away from them. But um, the only thing I was going to say in the depot trade is that I, I agree with you, Eli. I, it does scare me a little bit in the sense that, you, you know, he could be a rental. He could be giving up some stuff. And uh, e- even if he's not a rental, you might have to pay him and things might get hairy. I think it's a good gamble. I'm sorry. I, I do. Um, you're not going to give up a lot for him, whoever trades for him. This is not – and Knicks fans, I, I know that you're listening and you you hate me when I do this. I'm not, I'm not often wrong on this podcast, by the way. I'd like to always bring that up. You guys are always angry at my takes, and then I'm always kind of right at the end. Uh, the, the depot trade is not anything wild. Like, it's not – you guys act like every trade involving any asset is going to set us back five years. It's just not. It's what do you think he's going to cost? Well, what do you think he's going to cost? Like, if you have to – if I had to guess, I mean, it's not yeah. going to be, it's not going to be much. Um, this is like your typical young player at a pick maybe like, yeah. like, like for example, we say that for CP three, but that's because the contract is so bloated despite him being so talented still, it's hard to make ends of where he's, you know, depending on the franchise he goes to that package is going to look wildly different. Depot is kind of like your, we've seen superstars or stars get moved for these deals all the time. It's like, okay, they got a year left on their deal. Um, especially if they're not fully healthy is the other thing too. This isn't like Anthony Davis with a year left going to the Lakers and then you know he's going to resign, so you're going to give up a whole bunch of everything because you know it's a lock. This is like, is he healthy? Is, are, we, are we taking a risk? Is it a gamble? And those deals are always like, we'll, we'll give you a kind of protected first and then take your pick of one of these young guys and, and we'll make the salary work from there. So – I don't – I just don't see how this is going to be a harmful trade in any way. Like, I just think at worst point, like, what, maybe you lose, like, a late first or something like that, and, and whoever you got to use – like, maybe again, maybe a Knox. Like, you know the same couple guys that are floating around. Knox, yeah. Frank. It's all, it's all guys that they don't want and haven't wanted. So, guys that haven't done anything for us here, I'm not going to lose sleep when we have – and, again, I keep bringing this up because this is the mindset that fans need to have. We are not in the poverty era anymore, guys. We have seven picks in four years. We are still really bad. We have so much cap to pay anybody, meaning we could take multiple avenues in or out of any of these situations we get ourselves into. So for me, I think that's a good gamble. You trade for Depot. You take It's a low-risk trade, in my opinion, for a guy that might look like himself. He might look really good. He might come back and he might be healthy. And if not, okay, well, you didn't give up a ton. It didn't kill you. You gave up who? Kevin Knox on a pick? Okay, well, you're not going to lose sleep over that. You still have six picks in four years, whatever the case is. And you just reposition from there. I, I just really – I'm not going to lose sleep over this one. They could get burned in this trade, and I, I really wouldn't care. I, what I about a three-team? Is... I was just thinking – I'm just thinking out loud right now. Three-team deal. Both Matt's picks are going out in some fashion. Maybe 27th, and then you net – this is what OKC in Indiana, and you get Oladipo and Paul. I feel like you can part with Knox for sure. Knox is gone. I feel like that's a possible blockbuster. Listen, you you would be you're gonna have a hard time pressing me about us giving up too much when we already know and acknowledge that eighty five percent of this roster is rotten garbage that isn't even gonna be here in the long call. Like even if you like some of these free agents or even if you like some of these kids, they haven't produced enough. They haven't produced enough, their contracts aren't long enough. Like we have nobody in the books except what Julius Randle two years from now. Like th- there's nothing, there's nothing here that you can scare me about it is my point. Like I'm, this team's already been bad. The roster's already been bad. We're giving up too much of what? If we're not going to give, if we're giving up three or four picks, like first round picks for one of these guys, like, Oh yeah, absolutely. We, we gave up way too much. I, I would agree with you. All these, all these trade scenarios are like a, a pick and then the shitty young guys that we don't want. And it, what's funny to me is this is the same deal that they've been trying to do since D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell, the thing that apparently was the last straw that got the, uh, St- Steve Mills fired, was like Bobby, Bobby Portis, uh, Alfred Payton, Kevin Knox, and like a first-round pick. And people were like, whoa, guys, that is so much to give up for D'Angelo Russell. And I was like, why? We, didn't, we don't want Bobby Portis. We don't want Alfred Payton. Kevin Knox sucks, and then we're giving up a pick. Then we have six picks in four years, and then a young player. Like, I just can't wrap my head around being outraged by all 
all of these trades, especially on a, it's almost like taking a flyer on Depot. I feel like the reason you get these picks and have cap space available is to start taking calculated risks and trades. Like you can't never trade again as an NBA team. You can't never sign a guy to a lot of money again as an NBA team. Like, and clearly tanking aimlessly and just drafting whoever is not working for us. So I, I don't really know what Knicks fans' plans are besides, like, just keep Kevin Knox and Frank and then pray they have a breakout year. Like, that worked the last couple of years. Like, I just – that, that's the thing that irks me. The depot thing seems, like, really low risk, and even if it doesn't work out, like, we'd be fine. But my question to you guys is, would you rather do a low risk – in my words, a low risk trade kind of like that and take a gamble, obviously, versus the, the Russ or CP stuff, or would you just maybe look in-house and go, you know what? Kyle was right to be on Dennis Smith Island. Tom Thibodeau was here. PG Whisper in Chicago. Are we going to buy into this and just let him actually get a real starting opportunity for the first time since the, the Chris Alps Porzingis trade? The, you know, the first, that was what they were pushing on us. If you guys forget, it was, well, now we have all this cap space for two max stars, and we have one of the bright young uh, point guards of the future. And then we immediately – immediately didn't see Dennis Smith Jr. the next season. He got buried uh, for a multitude of reasons, partly his fault, part tragedy. But is this the time when you're just like, look, let's not make a move. Let's not get wild here. If, like, Fred Van Vliet doesn't take the money, we'll just hold tight, let Dennis start, and let's just see what happens. Is that something that you guys would be opposed to, knowing who this new coaching staff and regime is, and maybe these guys can finally be the ones to get Dennis Smith Jr. right? Yeah, I mean, that's I, – I agree with you on the Oladipo thing, which is why, like, out of those three people, he would be the one. Like I said, I feel like he's the one who offers a chance at future value. And, yep. I mean, I do wonder, like, if, if we're talking about, like, Knox and a pick, I don't see any way that, like, a better team with better pieces doesn't beat that. But, like, if it is something like that, then I think, yeah, of course, just just do it. And, again, just get someone who can play basketball on the team – but I, I do think that, like, if it's my preferred avenue, I say you have one more year. You just, just wait one more year. I know that it feels like we've been rebuilding forever, but, like, Leon Rose has just gotten here. And so this is really his year one. So I think that you, you give one year, and then you have a big free agency class, you have a big draft. Like, things can really change very quickly. Um, so I would give I would give a I wouldn't give a max offer sheet, but I'd give a very like I would go pretty close to the max for Fred VanVleet. If he takes it, that's awesome. He's a really good fit, and he's a really good culture guy. If he doesn't, whatever, roll it back with Smith and Frank. Give RJ some run at the one. Whoever you draft, if they draft a guard, let them play a little bit, and just see who you have so you can evaluate moving forward. And then next year you can start to kind of wheel and deal a little bit. I think that. I think that like, the, what this comes down to is like the Knicks have so many avenues forward. Like they could really do any of these options. They could swing like the, try to swing like a gigantic double trade, like Mike said, or they could just sit tight and be one of the two to three worst teams in the league and, you know, really, you know, tank for one more year. And the beauty of tanking for next year is if you end up with the fourth pick in next year's draft, that's not the same as ending up with the fourth pick in this year's draft, right? There's like actually still some guys there that you could say, okay, this guy is going to be our new face of the franchise. He's going to lead us forward. So I think that, I think that one more year of patience is really what we need to do. I mean, we, they still don't even know what Mitchell Robinson looks like as a starter. Like that's ridiculous to me, but it's the case. And that's something you have to know, like moving forward, we have to know if Mitch is going to be the guy like, or like one of the main guys and we don't know that right now because he started like five games, you know. So define, define main guys, though. You you mean to main how? Main as in one of the guys who's going to be here long term, who we're kind of like prioritizing the development of. Okay, I I, I just I struggle with the Mitch thing only. Because, I'm not trying to like derail. I just struggle with the Mitch thing because I think. Uh, much like the Frank thing, we do this infatuation of what they could be. And I think that Mitch is kind of like at best going to just be defensive backbone. And I, I don't know. It's not your wording. I just got hung up on when you said main part. So that's why I was like, I mean, at best, like what are, what are we hoping for? Like Capella here 
Like there's not. Oh, I think at best he's a good amount more versatile because he's a much better perimeter I defender. I mean, we'll see. Like perimeter defender, I'll give. You. I think the, the defensive side, I'm not going to argue because I, I'm all in there. I just, it seems like a lot of when people talk about his potential, it's tied to his offense. And to me, we haven't seen a lick of anything besides running really fast at the rim and dunking it very hard. Like, I think a yeah, lot of but it, you don't need him to be like Davis Berton. What you really just need him to do is like develop a little bit of a short roll game where he can hit people, like he can right. pick and roll and then hit someone in the in the corner waiting for a three. And, you know, sometimes maybe, you know, run a dribble handoff. And if that's what if that's the only thing he adds in the next year and a half, like I think that's a huge win on the offensive side. You know, maybe takes a jump shot every now and then. Not not like a jump shooter, but like actually takes like more than three jump shots in a year, you know? I, and I think that that is positive progression. Like he doesn't have to become Bam Adebayo, but like, you know, you can have just like start. I'm, but Bam does a lot of those things in the short world though and finds those shooters. I don't know that my thing right. is, I don't know that Mitch is going to be able to do that. I, I don't know that he possesses those abilities. I think he's good at what he's right, Cause at. we've never seen, cause they've never given him any offensive, I, you know, so that's, I, what I'm I saying. That, that's exactly what I'm saying to you though, right? We don't know because he's never had any responsibility other than run fast, jump high. And it's always been out and it's off the bench. So we really just don't know. So that's why this year is going to be so important is to figure out exactly that question. We'll see. That, just, that's it, Go ahead, Mike. No, I think that's why you do a blended approach. I do think you pursue a Chris Paul deal, especially obviously it all hinges on draft night. As I said, if they go wing, Knox is already kind of lost in the shuffle. I make the Chris Paul deal, but I also see what Dennis Smith has. And one thing that came out of Tibbs's first press conference was he wanted to drive and kick. He wanted to get to the rack or hit corner threes. And that plays right into Dennis Smith's strengths, right? I mean, when he first got saying? here, yeah, the first, the first 30 games or whatever it was when he came over from the train, he was actually decent. And he was a good, he, decent defender. He was more than decent. He was a good Nick. I, I keep saying yeah. this. After that trade, he was an actual good basketball player for yeah. the rest of the season. He was. It's factual. Look at the games. He was good. Right. And that's because he was getting downhill. He had really good chemistry with DeAndre Jordan, DeAndre Jordan which I hope he could kind of replicate with Mitch because they're kind of the same player right now at least. Maybe Mitch can grow into something more. But the point stands. Dennis Smith's great when he's getting downhill. We had this problem with J.R. Smith, and Dennis Smith's nowhere near the shooter. JR is. But remember with JR, it was like, just get to the rack, dude, or shoot a three. With Smith, is just get to the rack or kick it out. And I think he is capable of doing that. And Thibodeau has a good history of turning players' careers around. DJ Augustine was probably the best example of this when I was doing a story on Thibodeau saving DSJ. Augustine said Thibodeau restored the love of the game for him. And I think that's part of the problem with Smith. I don't think he is a guy who doesn't try. I do think he tries. I think he literally just lost his confidence last year and it kind of just snowballed and it's easy for it to snowball when you have X amount of thousand people chanting Frank Neil Aquino while you're in. So I do think he was just in a very perfect storm of just perfect environment to fall apart, which he did. And as Eli yeah. said, there's perfect, this is the perfect chance to be experimental, see what you got, milk all these guys, except with the exception of Knox, because I do think you still need one veteran to say, you know, keep, move the shit forward a little bit. We can't just keep plotting in place, is my point. I will say, as someone who has historically been low on Smith, I was lower on him in the draft, and I was low on him in the trade, especially for what they gave up. Uh, but I do feel like it's somehow over the last year, and it was an absolute disaster of a year, but somehow I've swung the other way where it's like, I'm really hoping, and I think that there's an actual chance. I don't think it's just blind, like, homerism, but I really sort of think that there's a real possibility that this year was just a blip of, like, a, the perfect storm of just terrible stuff to get Dennis Smith, you know, in the worst possible position from – coaching to his personal tragedies to like you said the fan base turning on him it does really sort of seem like he lost the love of the game and you know we've seen I, I think like Dwight Howard is a really good example of how much that can make a difference like you see Dwight this year has been the most effective that he's been in years it's, and it's because he's smiling again and Dwight for, was someone who like that smile was always a big part of his game and for a long time he went like really sullen so I think that like that rediscovering that love of the game like you said Mike is really important and also, I just think that, like, 
he offers something that no one else on the team offers, which is a quick first step to drive, to like break down defenses. And that is something that like Frank is slow. RJ is strong, but kind of slow. Like Knox is slow. Everyone on that team is sort of slow. And like having someone who can change the pace like that is so important. And so I think that there is, like, I think there is genuine reason to think that things could turn around for him. Now, I don't think he's going to ever get back to the point where he's a bright young point guard of the future, because I didn't really think that to begin with when he was drafted. But like, I think he could absolutely be a serviceable point guard, like average to below average starting point guard or like a very high end backup. And whatever it is that they get there, like that is a win for the Knicks. So whether or not the development staff is like putting out these little like feel good quotes about him to drive up his trade value, which I think is probably also the case. But I I really do think that there is a shot for him to kind of get back some of what he lost last year. And so I think that's another reason to, you know, it's another reason a to, to give some more opportunities to people. Cause I do think like he really just didn't get any chances last year, except for, you know, early on, but uh, it's just another reason. I, I, I don't know. I think like giving up on him after like an absolute freak year is weird. If you weren't already out on him before that, cause it just really seems like this is like a one time thing. Like he might never get back to what he was, but I don't think he's ever going to be as bad as he was this year. I don't think he's not going to be in the league. And one more thing before you jump in, Kyle, on Chris Paul as a mentor, I think it could really turn into a Schroeder thing because Schroeder was kind of like the backup. He had his best, one of his best years last year with a three-point guard lineup with Shea, Chris Paul, and him. I don't see why Smith can't be a mentor and you could still add another point guard because, Kyle, I do agree with you that Frank isn't going to be a point guard. I think in the corner threes and drive, Frank is the corner three guy. So I do think he's going to slowly start moving out to the two, two guard off ball. So I do think there is room for more than one point guard here. There definitely is, but the, the Dennis Smith juniors and look, this is, I've already admitted it on, on this podcast numerous, numerous times. I'm very biased here with the Dennis Smith stuff. This is a prospect. I wanted them to take over Frank Neal Akita. This is a guy that I wanted before that draft. This is a guy who I liked when he was in Dallas. Um, but I do think that the sort of scoffing that he's just a bad player is, is what bothers me because his rookie season, he gave you 15 and five in Dallas. Like that's not nothing. Like it's not just counting stats either. Like it's not nothing. His, his, uh, you know, assist to turnover ratio was essentially two to one. Like that's kind of what you want as a point guard. So it's like, there was enough there to see what Eli was saying immediately about him being like at least an average type of guard. And then the next year you get Luka Doncic and then you go from a guy who needs to have the ball and needs to go downhill and needs to go fast. And suddenly he's playing off ball all the time next to Luka, which rightfully, because it's Luka Doncic, I'm not saying Dallas made a wrong decision. I'm just saying fit wise, they established that Dennis doesn't fit anymore and they moved him. Right. So then he goes to the Knicks and immediately again is averaging 15 and five with lower turnovers and more assists in New York. So, and, and again, it's not too, too much, but, you know, from the first year in Dallas to his games with the Knicks, um, his assists went up 0.2 and his turnovers went down 0.2. Either way. Yeah, that's a, he had that 12 assist game, I think, against the Pistons where it was like, oh, this dude could actually be a point guard. Right. But, and, and this is my, and again, you guys know I've been arguing this for a few years now with Dennis, but. I think his vision kind of gets undersold. His IQ gets undersold because he, he kind of gets chalked up as to this. He's only an athlete. He's only finesse. Like he makes plenty of driving kicks. He makes plenty of, I'm going to find the shooter open on the opposite side of the court. I just don't know why he doesn't get more opportunities. And that's what bothered me last year. It was like, for all this talk about let the kids play, let the kids play. Then it was like, okay, Dennis sucks. We got to play Alfred Payton. And I was just very confused by that. Dennis is very much the definition of, of a young player that needs minutes. And it's like we go harder for the, this, this Kevin Knox and Frank Nielakina bullshit than we do for Dennis Smith, who has more talent than both those guys combined. And I'm sorry. I, I, I just got to be honest about it. Like, he needs to have a real opportunity to play. Again, acknowledging my bias, acknowledging my belief in him, that probably is going to go undying. But I just don't know how you can look at a guy who's producing in the West 15-5, and five, comes out East, 
He looks really good with the Knicks. They're, they're moving him and Mitch. It's not just DeAndre Jordan, Mike, to your point. Him and Mitch looked really good together. Really good together. There was a lot of pick and rolls. Mitch going downhill. Dennis going downhill. Good luck stopping one of us at the rim. Lobs it up to, to Mitch. Big dunk. You know, it was like, it made so much sense. It made so much sense. And then they stopped even trying is what I, what I don't understand. So, yeah, he's the one guy, like, more than anybody else that I, that I don't know why fans refuse to talk about, maybe because we didn't draft him specifically. But he's the one, to me, that needs the most opportunity. He's the one, for sure, that needs the most opportunity. I think he got a couple, dealt a couple bad hands. And, again, people forget when he came to the Knicks, he was playing well despite his back hurting, too. He had a back injury right after he got to New York, and he still finished the season diming people up. So That back injury is what derailed this season. Because, right. he, yeah, he started well, off because of that. And the interesting thing, like, I thought the scariest thing this year and the reason that, like, the reason for being genuinely worried and, like, what is going on this season was because I agree with you that he does have a little bit more – vision than he usually gets credit for because he was he was collapsing defenses and making reads out of that that first year but the scary part was this year it really seemed like he just lost like any sense of spatial awareness like he did not know where his players were when he was on there and like let me i need to cut you off immediately because that is the entire theme of last year's season and i feel like we only let that go for rj when we talk about the spacing and i'm a big rj caper everybody knows this i will defend that kid till i die but that's, like, the first thing we always bring up, right? He's like, well, he didn't finish great. But what room did oh, he no, have? Oh, no, see, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about finishing, though. I'm talking about seeing where his teammates were and being able to, like, understand the geometry the of the same, floor. And that's – It's the same I don't, thing no, is my I, point. I don't think it's exactly the same. I think it's similar. And I think that, like, the spacing definitely plays a part in making it worse. But I'm talking about, like, even on, like, fast breaks, you could see it. Like, he really just, like, lost the ability to read fast breaks and, like, yeah, what was it, the Bulls game where he was just completely lost? I think it was they were at Chicago, and he was right. in a complete fog. But I think that is not really space. I think it's just lack of confidence. I think he got so far in his head because yeah, there were also a couple clips where he would get it kicked out, even on the elbow. He would just, like, pause with the ball and then, like, dribble a couple steps and then shoot some bullshit where it's yes. just like, dude, just let it fly. I think he it's, was just in his head de- It's definitely partly his fault, but there was a lot – of weird things with that roster last year. There was a lot of weird offensive things with that roster last year. I'm not making excuses for the boneheaded plays, obviously, like the ones you just pointed out. He obviously, when he had his early opportunities, did not capitalize. But I just wonder how much of it was like, you know, you get traded here, and literally not even six months ago, they're telling you that you're going to be the point guard here. Like, we traded for you. You were like the crown jewel player to come in that trade for the KP. Everybody likes to ignore this. Everybody likes to scoff at it. Everybody likes to move the goalposts on the KP trade. It was a garbage fucking trade. I'll always bring that up. But they swung and missed on the cap space. The very next thing was Dennis Smith Jr. Scott Perry was all over TV pushing why Dennis Smith Jr. was an exciting young point guard, exciting young point guard. He's exciting, athletic, you know, all these things that, you know, the Knicks haven't had in quite some time. And then within six months, you just handed it right off to Alfred Payton. Something doesn't sit right with me, man. It just doesn't sit right with me. Like, even if with the struggles, even with the struggles, We've seen Frank and Knox struggle worse or just as much as he did in those first or in the early going this season. And those guys didn't even get totally buried on the bench and totally not playing anymore. And just how like spectacularly fast this went south this season is kind of what irks me because it was like, it, it just didn't seem like the same rules were applying anymore at a position where we definitely needed more help. And I was just very confused about, why they weren't even invested in trying to get him back on track a little bit. You know what I mean? It's very when, – when you trade your franchise player and that was the one player you were trying to bank on, you know, aside from the picks in the cap space, it seems very strange to just roll over on that immediately and just go, okay, well, hopefully this one year, maybe two of Alfred Payton is going to cover it up. It was a very, like, strange move to me. I just don't quite understand that. Well, and, like – even if you don't believe that he is some um, great, you know, he, no one's calling him, you know, like Russell Westbrook light anymore. But like the fact remains that he is the one young guy, I feel like who, if he really popped in the way that like we sort of expected him to might be able to like hit that level, he could actually raise the ceiling of the team. Like 
Frank, you know, you know, I love Frank. I think he's a really good complimentary player. I, I don't think he stinks, but I also don't really think that he's a point guard anymore. Like, I feel like he's a solid combo guard slash wing, probably a bench guy, but like a very good one, like in the future. Um, Knox, you know, who the fuck knows, but Dennis Smith could actually bring really interesting results to this team. And so I agree. I think like, you know, people were kind of like mocking it when, when the tweets came out about like the development staff is working with him and they feel good about it and Dibs likes him. And like, I, I, yes, they're probably drumming up trade value, but I, there's a very real reason for them to want to get him back on track, even if it's just for the Knicks, like he could absolutely help this team. And I don't think you have to like imagine that much. It's like, if he got back to his, so the, the, the Dennis Smith that he was when he came over to the Knicks, and adds two years of experience of like understanding what the NBA is. That is a hugely valuable piece for the Knicks to have, and one that they just don't have any facsimile of anywhere on the roster. So like, I, I really think he's absolutely worth the time and the investment, both for trade reasons, but also just for internal development reasons. Yeah, and the, the last thing I wanted to say, at least on the Tibbs point, is I think there's real credence to – this is why I go back and forth on like the, the stuff coming out right now is because – Thibodeau has kind of done this reclamation thing with point guards in the past where not necessarily guys that were were bad or stunk per se, but guys that were either like misfits or kind of bounced around the league for a little while, or, you know, maybe didn't get opportunities elsewhere. And then when he got them in Chicago, he was like, all right, next man up, you're just going to have to be good for me. Like CJ Watson, remember CJ Watson went on a little tear. Mm -hmm. Nate Robinson went on a little tear. John Lucas III went on a little tear. Like, he always finds these, like, guard, and again, it's not anything wild. Like, Nate Robinson was not setting the league on fire as the Bulls guard that year. But he gave you, like, a re- look, I'm looking at the stats now. He gave you a respectable 13 and four and a half. Nate Robinson, who was, like, a stopgap starting guard, like, not starting fully. He only started 23, 24 games. But he gave them what they needed, and Thibodeau gave him, uh, you know, a lot of rope, especially in the playoffs that year, if I remember correctly. And it's like, when you have a guy who's going to work with you, and have faith in you and have full confidence in you and let you actually stay in the game when you make a mistake, stay in the game and, you know, really try to make something happen. It does matter. It does. And it, to me, you see the difference in his approach, you know, when he first got here with the Knicks and they basically had nothing else and they had to let him play free. You could see how confident he was going up and down the court. As bad as that team was, you could see it. And same thing with Dallas, his rookie year. They had nothing else going for him. Uh, for them at that point in time and it was basically Dennis Smith Jr.'s team you know Luca was still not a thing was barely even in Dallas's imagination at that point and he looked good and confident and I, I do feel like there is some credence to like Thibodeau coming in and being like all right you know you're going to be the guy like we're, we're actually going to really rely on you so whether you're ready or not like we're going to play you and I think if you have somebody like that who believes in you who's going to actually push you to go do that a guy as confident and as bullish as Dennis could be it could really be something nice uh that's like my only – like with Tibbs, I think I know what to expect, right? We, we Like the Frank stuff, you expect him to like Frank because he's a defensive player. You expect him to like Mitch because he's a defensive player. You expect him to like RJ because he's like that workhorse, right? Like he, he does a little bit of everything. But like the Dennis thing to me is like the sweetener. Like if you could figure out how to get Dennis back on track at the very least, just back on track. If I saw 15-5 and five again this year, I, I, would, I would almost have a stroke right now imagining it. If, if we could just get 15-5 for – like ecstatic are you kidding me like it'd be amazing so like to me if you could just get him back on track or at least mostly there like that would be like a giant like a massive colossal win for him in his first season as coach so just going on it's not just tips too it's sorry i'm sorry to interrupt you i'm just gonna say it's not just tips like they just spent an an exorbitant amount of money on development coaches right yeah i know kenny Payne is mostly considered a big man guy but like johnny bryant worked really closely with Donovan Mitchell. Now, obviously, Mitchell and Smith are nowhere near the same player, but, you know, athletic guards, Smith doesn't have the shot, but, like, like you don't get those guys and then take the one guy who really has, like, all the tools, but, like, none of the, you know, he doesn't seem to have quite as much of, like, the, the I don't know. I don't want to say he doesn't have the feel, but he is, like, oh, you know, he has some question marks. But he's the one guy with all those tools that you could really shape. Like, I feel like he's the guy that, like, if you're a development guy for guards, he'd be the one I'm trying to get my, like, my hands on and really, like, mold him into someone who can really read the game. Couldn't agree more. And then just the fact that he's working out with Bryant, 
I'm pretty sure only RJ is the only other player that's been exclusively working out with Brian. I'm, my sense is him being the associate head coach. If Brian's working with you, that means they have some sort of plan for you, whether that still stays the same throughout the season. But at least for now, I would say it's safe to assume that the team wants to at least venture into seeing what Dennis Smith can be. And, and I'm not even saying he's got to, like, start day one for me to be happy. Either. I don't think he's I'm ever going to start. I think well, it's, uh, it's man. D- depends how the season goes for them at point guard. Right, like, this offseason goes. Like, because I, I'm telling you right now, like, if they run, basically run it back and it's just Alfred Payton on the roster, and, like, that's the only threat. Shoot me in the face. I, like, correct. But also, I, I, I could very easily see Dennis – picking up that starting role at some point in the season. You know what I mean? So it very much depends on what they actually do this offseason. Like, if, if it's Fred Bentley, obviously he's not going to start. But my point is, like, he needs to have big minutes regardless on this team, at least for this year. That's, that's the only thing that I truly believe. Like, if he plays less than 20, 25 minutes a night, even off the bench, I think that's, like, disgraceful. I think, like, you got to find a way to work him in and really give him the opportunities because if not – as always, we always ask ourselves this, then what are we actually doing with these kids on this, this roster? If they're not going to play, you know, you say you're going to commit to them and then you don't actually do it. You know, last season we saw this too uh, with Dennis Smith Jr. heading into camp, not to like burst your bubble. I'm reading the tea leaves here, Mike. But remember with Fisdale in training camp, what did we hear? Dennis Smith is amazing right now. He's taking over entire practices. He's well, Fisdale was a charlatan though. That's the thing with Fisdale right. said everything right, but he just didn't do anything. I know Thibodeau would at le- is at least going to do some sort of action. Fisdale was all talk. Look, I, I hope so, man. They need, we and like you guys are the new installment of the TKW podcast. Me and Corbo have been crying about point guards since the inception of this podcast. They need to just figure that out and, like, really invest time and planning into doing that. So if, if they're actually trying to get Dennis Smith Jr. going, like, genuinely, and it's not just for the quotes and, and to try to prop up his trade value, I would like to see it. You, you have to have some sort of committed plan. It can't just be, all right, well, that 10 games didn't go well. Here's Alfred Payton for the rest of the season. 10 right. games didn't go well. Here's Emmanuel Moutier for the rest of the season. Like, you, you got to, like, really just commit commit and work with these guys to help them grow through their mistakes. And one thing they haven't tried yet, which is why I'm really pushing for a Chris Paul deal no matter what, is brought in a legitimate mentor. Alfred Payton's not a mentor. Jose Calderon was not a mentor. Who else? Fucking Benno Udre. Like, I could go through the list of bums that were at point guard, and none of them were like a mentor. And Chris Paul is a top five point guard all time who still has something left in the tank. So why not have a coach on the floor, on the bench, in the locker room, Taj Gibson's doing a great job of it already. I think you that's why you bring in Chris Paul. That's the one thing they haven't tried yet. Why not? So, on that note, we try to put a bow on this before Zoom cuts us off. But uh, this is the ever-going point guard debate regarding the Knicks. Uh, We would like to see this shored up at some point, whether that's by way of trade, by way of free agency. And as Eli pointed out, there are – so many avenues for this team to get better, and there's really no excuses for them at this point with who they put into place, both in the front office, on the developmental staff. Um, so to me at this point, like, this is when you take a stab at trying to improve in a big way and you put your money where your mouth is. You can't just keep punting and saying you're, you're developing. So we shall see, whether it's Chris Paul, Westbrook, uh, Older Depot, or they just run it back with Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, we'd like to see the point guard situation get a little bit better and just simply not be Alfred Payton anymore. But kind of thank you guys for hopping on and having this discussion with me and welcoming me uh, back.